literally, I mean, this was a side gig. I started interviewing successful practitioners about how they built their businesses. I started interviewing other therapists about how they started creating income beyond the therapy room. I started interviewing marketing and social media folks because I was like, you know what? I got to learn this stuff and I have this platform and this opportunity. Why not uh, interview them? And hopefully I will definitely learn stuff along the way. Podcast Junkies, episode 309, take two, because the first time I recorded this, I didn't have the record button selected, and I was talking into the air (laughs) with nothing being recorded, and that is the life of a podcaster, which I'm sure some of you can relate to. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are a regular listener, I appreciate you taking the time to listen, come in, in week in and week out, whether you've been here since episode one or just found the show recently. If you have found the show for this episode, and this is your first time listening, by all means, I'm rolling out the welcome mat to you as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear how you found it. I'm always open to new emails at harry at podcastjunkies.com. In case you missed last week, we spoke to Diana Merriam. She's the founder of the Economy Conference and host of Optimal Finance Daily. Diana and I connected at Podcast Movement, and she was attending my talk uh, about the success I've had with my other show, the Vertical Farming Podcast, and I offered to have her come on the show. We had a great conversation. Really interesting for those who are looking to build some financial independence. Very inspiring show, so make make sure you check out that episode. This week, we speak to Melvin Varghese, courtesy of a connection I made via Jeremy Enns, who's also a past guest on the show. Dr. Melvin is a licensed psychologist who realized that he wanted more than the traditional career route. Not wanting to simply fit his family, health, and hobbies around his career, he instead built one around those pillars. And he's transformed his wildly successful podcast and blog, Selling the Couch, into a podcasting course for therapists who want to share their message with the world. In this episode, we talk about the concept of enough, the four-day work week, the importance of fostering creativity, especially as an entrepreneur, and a little bit into the details of his online course, Mastermind, which has been extremely profitable for him. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. Make sure if you're loving this episode or past episodes, you leave a rating or review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. I'd love to read those out on future episodes. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. Okay, before we get into this interview with Melvin, here's a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. So Melvin Varghese, host of Selling the Couch, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Harry, thank you so much for having me, and it's been you know wonderful to connect online and uh can't believe we're doing a podcast conversation. <laughs> Shout out to Jeremy Enns, who got us on the same panel talking all things podcast marketing, something he's extremely well-versed in. He just had a launch of his recent course, and I have a chance to check it out, but it seems from what I've seen on social, people are responding well to it. I think this is the sixth go-round for that course, and we'll provide a link in the show notes if anyone wants it, but I think, I don't know if you've had experience with any of his materials, but he, he goes really in-depth in terms of supporting podcasters and folks who are looking to market their show. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to dive in, but from my interactions that I've had with Jeremy, I can, I totally believe that. Like I can see him like really, there's like, there's a genuine heart you yes. know, to yeah, want yeah. to serve. And I, and you know, I feel like folks that come from that place definitely 
make a difference, you know? Yeah. So your background is in psychology. Is that something from when you started school, university? Is that something that, that was always a passion of yours or something you wanted to study? Yeah. So I actually was planning on going to medical school and becoming a pediatrician. So it was not an initial sort of thought at all. I started as pre-med in undergrad, was a psychology major, but mainly I had never taken a psychology class until undergrad. So it was mainly like, oh, this might be really interesting. It seems like a lot of pre-med folks also major in psychology. And that's how it started. And about three semesters in, I think right after like part A of OCHEM, I was like, oh my gosh, like this stuff is like really over my head. My brain does not think like this. And at the same time, I found myself gravitating towards psychology and just being fascinated by the mind and people and emotions. And I think, yeah, from there, you know, the we can definitely talk more about it, but it was a route to go to grad school. And, but this whole online business, that's a whole thing. I never, <laughs> you know, I would ever my wildest dreams so what was it as you were learning psychology that was lighting you up inside like what, what was attractive to you i think being able to you know i think there's this adage that a lot of psychologists or folks that pursue mental health they do it for their own healing and i think initially for me it was trying to make sense out of my own experience you know i'm i'm the child of immigrants first to go to college in my family. So a lot of sort of first, you know, even English is my second language. So, and, you know, as with all of us, we have all of our own childhood dramas and things that have impacted us. Right. And I think as I began to take these psychology classes, I was like, you know, this is really interesting. I never thought of it this way. And I found, I think initially like life and things that had happened, like it started to make sense, but I think it allowed for healing as well, which I think I hadn't fully experienced. And that's what I think it initially like drew me to it. That's important. What is your background? In terms of culture? Yeah, culture, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm from India. Okay. Southwest from Kerala. So okay. yeah. How often do you get back? Ooh, pre-pandemic. <laughs> so yeah, the last time we went back was twenty seventeen. But when I was growing up, I mean, this was something that was really important to my parents that they send my brother and I back to India in the summer. So okay. typically, like, I mean, Harry, like I was, I think, sixth grade, maybe fifth grade. We flew unaccompanied from Dallas to Trivandrum, India, you know, so it's like three or four flights. Yeah. And yeah, we were talking about Dubai right before we started, <laughs> right? And I'm pretty sure one of those flights was to Dubai. Yeah, so. yeah. What was the biggest culture shock for you? Like either way, like I don't know if how much, how young were, you were when you came to the States or it sounds like it, the bigger one might have been going back to India. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think probably a little bit of both of those. Uh, so I was, I had just finished first grade and then I started second grade here in the US. <laughs> this is actually going to be pretty funny, but I didn't know what like cheese or cheese pizza was. And so I distinctly remember my cousins in America, like when we came, they didn't speak the language, right? So yeah. they're like kind of, you know, like sign language, like nonverbal, sure. you know, language. And they're like, you know, do you want cheese pizza? And I'm like, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, right? Like, yeah. So that's like my earliest memory of, you know, just, I mean, it's, I think when we grow up here often in the US, right? Like it's so easy to become insulated right yeah i mean even something as basic as like 
and you know india does like have cheese in their things but it's like typically in like north indian cuisine like in south indian cuisine it's like extremely rare like i don't know any and so just the fact that i've never even seen cheese in my life and you know it was like only after first grade where in the states were you living so we moved to texas okay when i first yeah right outside of dallas yeah texas is its own experience as well <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it is and it's definitely changed i feel like you know i haven't I moved out of Texas now. It's been 12 years and I feel like it's so different, you know, in the past 12 years. So. And where's home now? Home is Philadelphia now. Okay. So how was the experience at when in your subsequent trips back to India, did you become more aware as you got older, like how much of a difference it was from a cultural perspective and just way of life? I think so. You know, I think the one thing that I found myself having more of as we went back to India is just gratitude, to be honest. And I, because like, again, you realize like what in many cases, I think the struggles that we have in the U.S. kind of pale in comparison to like other sort of like struggles, right? Like I remember like a distinct time we went to India, like there's a city that, you know, where we used to live and they have like what's called like they have two bus stands, right? So they have ones for the private buses and then they have ones for the like the state sponsored buses, right? And we were, I think we had to take like one of the buses and go to the other station. And I was walking and there was literally a, a man there and like he had just like, like a cot, like a little simple like like a sheet basically he was sitting on and he was making combs, like combing your hair. And that was like how he like lived, right? Like that's just such a different, you yeah. know. I think um, it's interesting because I, originally from El Salvador and although I was born there, I came here when I was a year old and I hadn't had a chance to go back until like my late twenties and my parents were like, we're going back. And I was like, oh yeah, the motherland, let's go check it out. <laughs> And I, it's interesting because I was on the plane and as I landed, I was like, I thought I would feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm like home, like this is my my country. And, but I just, I couldn't like connect. And it's probably just because I was, had just lived all my life in the States and it's jarring, like third world countries. And, you know, you just, especially countries that are in a condition like El Salvador and you would see like military guys with like machine guns outside the bank. <laughs> and then when there would be like a rainstorm, it would flood to the point where you couldn't even drive in the streets. We went on a hike and there was like these guys following us and had machetes in their hands. And I'm like, well, maybe we should go back down the hill and just like, <laughs> but away from the guys with the machetes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, this is, this is crazy. And so I think I have, we have Spanish blood in my heritage because like everyone was like shorter than me. They had like straight, like black hair, very mestizo, like, uh, culture. And so it was interesting. It was, we don't have a lot of family there now. So it was, it was a good experience and the beaches are absolutely stunning and beautiful, but it is, you know, something to experience, to see what the other world, the other, you know, sides of the globe look like. I remember that same experience when I went to Thailand for the first time, I was like, Oh, I feel like I'm in a different planet now because, <laughs> uh, it's helpful. And, you know, I don't know if you have friends or you know people, there's, there's folks that have never left like their city or their state, you know, and so they don't have that experience. Yeah, no, I actually recently saw that. Like I have some, you know, friends I stay in touch with over Facebook, like, but they, you know, it can kind of tell like we're, they're still living in the same city that we went to high school in, like, you know, kind of have settled there, which is perfectly okay. But like, yeah, it's just so interesting, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I'm so glad my parents sent us like, First of all, like, 
you know, we have a daughter now and I can't even imagine setting her up on a company, (laughs) but I'm so glad they did that because one, it like fostered a love of travel and just this sort of self-confidence, right? And and then I remember like Emirates hooked us up and like put us in the, like the lounge, like in Dubai, oh, right? Because nice. we're like two unaccompanied kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take them over there. All That's right. hilarious. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it fostered a love of, and sort of, I guess, a, like this, and I didn't connect it until like actually fairly really recently, which is like this appreciation or this real deep thinking of like what is enough, right? As business owners and in life and what is the meaning of life? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you've probably experienced this in El Salvador, like here in the US, right? Like we primarily gear our life around career and we try to fit other stuff around that, right? And when we would go to India, like, first of all, like everything is like so much slower, right? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, why why isn't this done yet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you look a little deeper, right? And everybody's having like chai at four o'clock, right? And there's like this sense of like, connecting to one another you know and there's a slow pace of life where it's more about like enjoying the work as opposed to completing the work right and i don't know it just it, it changes your perspective on life and i think i'm asking these big questions recently as like a business owner because i'm like you know i don't think it really resonates like just like focusing on revenue for me you know yeah, and I think what a lot of entrepreneurs focus on or what their ultimate goal is really freedom, right? Freedom to do what you want to do, when you want to do. And a lot of it is indoctrinated, indoctrinated in us. I think uh, I was in corporate for over 20 years. So I just get this mindset that I, I got to be at my desk at like 9 a.m. I'm like on a, on a bus or on a train at like 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m. because I, I lived in New York. I used to take the, the subway into Manhattan and, and obviously you hit New York city and just, it is like probably like an ant colony when seen from a distance, just like people just hustle and bustle and everyone's like gotta be somewhere. And all these skyscrapers are filling up with all these people, you know, by six, seven AM it's and New York city's hopping. <laughs> and it's been, you know, interesting when you're in that mindset, just like go. And then, uh, you know, so it's been challenging for me, as an entrepreneur, like just to have, get into a rhythm where I'm appreciating like my mornings and I'm like not rushing to like, it's my own. I mean, I'm, I work from home, so I, I don't have to be at my desk at 9am, but sometimes I feel guilty when I'm not. <laughs> and it's weird because in my job, I remember, you know, if you're, if you're the guy who shows up at 915, like all your coworkers are like, Oh, Hey Melvin, must've been a rough weekend, huh? <laughs> like there's right. always that mindset and that guilt. And I'm also the child of immigrant parents, you know, just kind of want you to have that, that job. And so I think part of it is the ability to have that freedom. And also just this understanding that everything, all of our systems, like our school system, like our, our health system, these are like 19th century inventions. And I think they're struggling now to like keep up with how our lives are now right like the education system you know depending how far down you go down the rabbit hole was created to indoctrinate and cultivate like factory workers right <laughs> right the, the whole purpose was to get them into school and get them out so they can work, start working in these factories and i think that hasn't changed like in terms of how we teach and that's why a lot of people even you know i know parents are having a lot of challenging conversations about what to do in terms of universities is it even worth it and a lot of what you 
leave with is this, it's not valuable. It's it's dated by the by the time you you know you're you're still paying off those loans twenty years later, and none of that information is, is relevant or applicable. I've sort of learned so much more in terms of digital marketing and this whole world of you know being an entrepreneur just by doing it right. And it's and so it's interesting the time and the place that we find ourselves in with so much access to information that's changing so quickly. There's nothing you can't learn right now if you have the wherewithal and the time just through YouTube videos and, and teaching yourself. Yeah. I have a young daughter and one of the things that I did and, you know, I, I went full time as a creator, like right when the pandemic was starting before that I was doing clinical work and doing selling the couch on the side. But one of the reasons she was a preemie, she was seven and a half weeks early. And so we did like daddy daughter days on Fridays. And I was like, I really want, I really wanted a daughter. And then two, I, I wanted to have those days because I realized like one, those days are like, there's so few, right? Like she literally started preschool a couple of weeks ago. Right. But the other thing I wanted was I wanted to figure out like, how could we do as many interesting things just to foster creativity and to have like that openness of spirit, fully aware that she would eventually go into a system where that would be like potentially zapped, you know? Yeah, yeah. And how has that exercise been for you? And what what was that experience like? Yeah, so, I mean, I wrote a Twitter thread about this, I think a couple of weeks ago, and about how like switching to a four-day week so we could do this has changed me as an entrepreneur. And one of the things I've, I've noticed is, one, I think it's made me more creative, right? Because it's like free play. Like as we get to be adults, we just don't do as much free play because like we need to be doing stuff, right? And then I think it's made me, again, same thing as you, right? Like immigrant mindset always like, you know, 100% really means give like 175%, right? And so it's taught me to like really slow down, you know, and be okay with like, I don't need to have like be a superstar in business, right? If it comes at the expense of being able to spend less time, you know? And that's hard, Harry. That is like really, really hard for me. I think uh, the realization for me is coming to an acceptance that I won't be able to get it all done. <laughs> because as especially someone who's into marketing and ideas and I've got like my agency, I've got the first, this show, I've got the second show now that in vertical farming, that's opened up a whole new slew of opportunities. As I mentioned prior to recording, I'm flying to Dubai in a couple of days. So it's wild because, you know, when you open yourself up to this world and you, and I love networking, I love connecting with people. I love brainstorming on ideas, partnerships, you know, just all these different ideas. And and then you realize like you're adding a lot on your plate and you have to figure out, you know, what's, what's important and what can you realistically get done and what can you do that's in your wheelhouse? Like it's, you know, that's it. You can do to the best of your ability because you can do a lot of things as well. And and then also just to grow as a person, I'm trying, I'm spending more time honing my writing skills. I've been committing to posting three times on Twitter because it exercises that writing muscle and working on threads. You mentioned threads, so we might go down that rabbit hole in a second. <laughs> but also just doing a long form blog post once a week that then becomes the, the, the content that I'll repurpose on different platforms. And this idea of just building my own personal brand that's not dependent like on me having an agency or having to go to clients. So just been just ideas that I've been percolating. And for me, that seems something that I'll be doing for a lifetime. You know, I don't see, I'll just I'll probably like 
posting on Twitter until like my last day to be like, okay, <laughs> signing off. <laughs> See you in the afterlife. <laughs> A thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny when you're talking about like plates and we have these like corral plates, right? Like the old school corral plates with the flower design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I have like a small one that I use and then we have the like the larger one, right? And I think for a long time, like when you were talking about like adding plates, for a long time, I just thought, you know, I just need to swap out. If I, the small one gets too big, I can just swap out and get the larger one and add more stuff to it. But, you know, I don't know if it's just having a kid or just recently turning 40 or the pandemic or probably all, all of these of it, things, yeah. right? Like, I just realized like, yeah, I don't, I think I'm going to be okay with having the small plate <laughs> and just saying, you know, yeah, like, this is one of the most important skills I'm learning, which is just hard for me, but like the power of saying no and the ability to say no, right? Because inevitably saying yes to something means you're saying no to something yes. else. Yeah. yeah, it's discernment and where's the best use of your time. And, and also for me, like I'm, I've been on the spiritual journey for over 20 years. So now I'm, I'm bringing that into my, my work and everything I talk about because it feels like I want to open that up for people or let people be comfortable talking about their, their, where they are in their journey. And, you know, we're all spiritual beings. And, and I think to the point that people start to become more aware of that, especially folks like that come from other cultures where it's, it's common to like talk about things like that. And so thinking about what role I have to play in, in helping expand the consciousness of the planet. And one of the things that's interesting about the writing journey is I heard a guy that I follow named Dan Coe talk about how it's almost our, our responsibility to raise the consciousness of the planet. And the way we do that is we share our journeys. And as an entrepreneur, it's sharing. I just turned 52. So like I've, I recently posted about that on, on Twitter. And, you know, it's just the business, the podcast, like everything that I'm doing, there's so much I can share. And it, it's almost like my responsibility to do that because that's how we raise the consciousness of the planet by just helping the people who are just one rung below us. You're not trying to be like a guru. You're not trying to be all things for everyone, but there's someone who needs to hear your message. You know, there's someone's, and I talk about this a lot. On, I've talked about this on stage in terms of this podcast, like everyone has a story, like everyone has a voice inside them. And so like, I've been pushing people and talking about this fact about like, I'm, I'm getting my story out. You know, I journal, I've, I've been getting back into working that muscle. I just got this really beautiful journal from my partner for my birthday. So I, I do two pages every morning and some of it is just freehand stuff. Just like, I just keep writing until I, you know, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm like, Hey, I don't know what to say. So, you know, <laughs> just to get that habit. And so now ever since my birthday, I've just now have that discipline because it's a beautiful leather bound journal. I'm just going to have that. Now I built that practice in, I've added it to my meditations and my intentions and all that sort of stuff. But there is an aspect of sharing that because, you know, I, there's a couple of posts that I've shared recently and people on, on LinkedIn were just like, oh my God, I'm so glad you posted that. Someone responded to my newsletter and they're like, this is just prompt that I needed to get back into my writing. And so you just don't know. You just don't know who is out there who needs to hear like that one message, that one note, that one post, that one Twitter thread. And they'll just find you at the right place you know, and at the right time for where they are in their journey. And, and it'll just be that one push that they need. So I've been kind of on a mission to just remind people to just warts and all like share the journey because it's you know it's it's a reminder you know the importance of taking imperfect action you know it's something that i've been cognizant of also as an entrepreneur like failing <laughs> a lot and just get right back up yeah failing forward and uh and just yeah and like our shared humanity right like yeah. people do at the end of the day like people do business with 
people. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you get out of uh, university, you've got your psychology degree. What are your, your hopes and dreams at that point? <laughs> so I did my internship and postdoc at Vanderbilt. So I was there okay. and uh, I was in Nashville and was planning on had a wonderful job offer and was planning on being at the university, being a psychologist at the university, eventually maybe becoming a training director, potentially doing private practice on the side. Then my partner and I, we'd been dating for, at that point, two years, and we had a big decision to make. She's from Philadelphia, and uh, I'm from Texas, and, you know, Nashville, we loved Nashville, but we also had very little, like, family support there. Like, there was nobody there. (laughs) And so I... The plan was actually to, yeah, like work at a university. So I moved to Philadelphia, with the intention of working at a university counseling center or a group practice. I ended up working at the group practice for from 20, so I got licensed in 2012, so 2012 to about 2015. But in the back of my mind, so essentially what would happen is two of my colleagues that were in the group practice, we would get together once a month because we all wanted our own businesses and we had never taken a business or marketing class in our lives. And we were like, we should probably figure out this thing and, and learn. So and literally we would pull up like YouTube videos and be like, okay, let's watch this and then let's just talk about it, right? And then yeah, yeah, go yeah. get like barbecue or something, right? And just, and chat. And uh, I had this random thought, which is, you know, I wonder if there are other therapists out there that need this information because most of us don't have not taken a business or marketing class. I think a good percentage of us will start a small business, either private practice usually or consulting or something like that. And so I, that's, I literally, I mean, this was a side gig. I started interviewing successful practitioners about how they built their businesses. I started interviewing other therapists about how they started creating income beyond the therapy room. I started interviewing marketing social media folks because I was like, you know what, I, I got to learn this stuff. And, you know, I have this platform and this opportunity. Why not interview them? And hopefully I will definitely learn stuff along the way. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where it started. And uh, I was still doing five and a half days of clinical work. And I launched essentially, you know, colleagues started coming up, reaching out after the podcast launched, like, Mel, how did you do this thing? I was like, well, you know, like I can do a console with you. And they were like, well, how much is it? And I was like, okay, how am I going to ask for this? Okay. So I, I think I put $200 for an hour, right? Which was a lot of money. Yeah, of course. Like it's a lot of money, yeah. right? Like, and they were like, you know, several, I'm like, no problem at all. Right. So yeah. that's when you know you charge too little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I had to figure out how to set up Calendly and the, you know, payment and all of that. Right. And, uh, Although I, I can't remember if I, at that point I was using calendar lead pages, but figured that out. And uh, and then I was like, you know what? I wonder if I can turn this into a course. You know, I come from a family of teachers. My mom taught at nursing school. My dad taught at law school. My grandparents were all teachers. So there's something in, about teaching I love. And uh, I created a digital course on podcasting for therapists that wanted to, you know, felt like they had a bigger message to share beyond just the their geographic area and done really well and uh in the process of that i'm the example of like the slow person who you know pulls back hour by hour so you know i was down to one day of clinical work a week four days working on selling the couch three days working on selling the couch three four-ish when our daughter was born but right when the pandemic happened i had a decision to make did i want to keep the one day of clinical work I was essentially doing testing and assessment at a at a facility. Uh, the facility didn't have any windows. 
we didn't have vaccines. I knew I was going to get COVID. I had a pre a preemie baby and I was like, you know, and she had to be, you know, Nikki for two and a half weeks. She had breathing difficulties. And I was like, you know what? Like I would feel horrible. if Something happened. And I mean, I had the good fortune of a partner having a, you know, stable job and, you know, had the good fortune again of having built something for five years prior to that. And, you know, so I just took the leap. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to give you the, the condensed version. <laughs> no, that's good. So when did podcasting come on your radar? Late 2014. I heard okay. of John Lee Dumas. John Lee Dumas, yeah. Entrepreneur yeah. on Fire. Yeah. And so I was like one of the initial folks in like podcasters. Oh, yeah, I was in the, yeah, I was in podcast. I'm in podcasters. Paradises. I got sort of grandfathered in <laughs> as well. Yeah, so, yeah, I think same. So, yep. And so you were just trying to learn the basics like gear and exactly what to do and what how to get started. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> if we have time for an embarrassing yeah, story, of course. <laughs> my first guest was an interview and this was like somebody I really looked up to and come to find out he was in Philadelphia and he was like, hey, I've never done a podcast before. Can you come over? Uh, can I come over to your house? And I was like, uh, sure, but I only have one mic. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, well, we can just figure out something, right? And I was like, yeah, I think so. So we took an ironing board. Oh, my and God. I put an ironing board, and I put the mic in the middle. It was this Audio-Technica, the ATR. ATR 2100, So yep. you got to be get real close to this yeah. mic. And so we're doing hand signals. I'm like, Corey, okay, you go. All right, Mel, you go. And... That's how we recorded the first thing. Oh my so. God, that's that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of folks got their start with their ATR 2100 as well. <laughs> and so where else were you looking for in terms of inspiration, like in terms of interview style? Did you start like a lot of podcasters do with your preset questions? How much in, you know research were you doing on your guests? Yeah, so where my inspiration is, like Pat Flynn, like I've love pat like the way that he's sort of built you know smart passive income but not just like the business like the integrity and just like building it around family like i think that was a big model i mean obviously we didn't have kids back then so but i knew that's like you know that's what i want you know like sort of intention so i followed a lot of pat at the early days i followed you know john eo fire and then like amy porterfield Recently, like, you know, and like, I've been, you know, I love like Rachel Rogers, we should all be millionaires. And in terms of the interview questions, uh, yeah, I, I definitely had like set interview questions because I was so scared. I was going to panic and in front of the interview, even though I had done therapy, right? That's, that's funny, basically yeah, what that's I do. That's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to write everything down. What is your favorite business book? What is the top tip that you, what's the biggest mistake that you made? It was like a regurgitation of that for first several episodes. And then I had the genius idea of editing because I was like short on funds. So yeah, I tried editing for 13 episodes and I was like, man, this is a, takes a long time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very similar. I it's so funny because I when I my first conference was New Media Expo because I wanted to. Uh, so I, my passion was electronic music and DJing. Like I grew up DJing vinyl and turntables and going to clubs. And so I thought I was going to start a podcast to interview DJs. So I went to New Media Expo. Pat Flynn was there. Andy Porterfield was there. And I shifted gears and I was like, oh, maybe I should interview the podcasters and tell their story, sort of like inside the actor studio, except for podcasters. And then I came back and someone mentioned Podcast Junkies at the conference. Chris, he was, he was, he was introducing Cliff Ravenscraft at the time. He's like, who's a Podcast Junkie? I was like, oh, that's a great name. Came back, joined Podcasters Paradise. And then John came on and John's, you know, uh, notorious for having only 30 minutes available for his <laughs> interviews. So it was his interview. 
And I was like, I only got 30 minutes. Like, I, I can't go through these questions. I'm just going to talk to him, you know, because it's going to go by so fast. And and I think we all go through that because we're just really nervous in the beginning. It's so funny bringing it all together. I was working on a, on a Twitter thread talking about like interview tips and just one of the ones that I think is is really with, I've honed over the years this, this idea of being like an intentional listener, being naturally curious, being comfortable with silence. And these are just the things you learn over the years on how to be a better podcast host and just by listening to other shows as well. So I think I'm, how have you grown as a host, uh, you know, from the beginning, if you, if you look back and, and where you are now? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for me is exactly what you said. Like, I felt like I needed like the training wheels of like, you know, here are my preset questions. I think the most I've grown is just letting my personality and my imperfection shine. Practically, some of the stuff I've done is so I listen to like a lot of like Terry Gross, NPR, like really good interviewers. And I do this like sometimes when I'm on like my hike or something where I'll just listen and then I'll ask a question in my head before they ask it just to get versed on, yeah, you know, like good. what are they hearing, you know? And, you know, even like, again, I, I feel like all of this has just been a blessing in disguise. Like I'm so grateful I got to be trained as a psychologist because I mean, this is years and years of learning how to ask questions and sit with silence and summarize and, you know, like open-ended versus closed questions. I remember I had a supervisor used to be like, no, oh, that's a closed-ended question. Make sure you ask, you know, questions that start with what and how. Yeah, yeah. So, or tell me a story about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you mentioned Rachel Rogers. Funny, she and I were in a mastermind years ago. So I actually helped, I launched her, her podcast yeah oh, and then she nice. she brought everything in house and it's taken off and it was funny because this, this is before like she sort of had that hockey stick moment like post pandemic and it was interesting to watch because you know she was interviewing and women of, and helping them like their program and it was just amazing to see how she just took off and just became really really big so it's been uh, really fun to see her her success and i was in a uh, we we're in a store with my, my partner and we saw her book. And so <laughs> we took a picture and I texted to her. I was like, congrats. And it's been fun to watch her, her journey as well. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. Rachel's awesome. And I mean, and she inspired me because like, I mean, again, it's like a person of color, right? Like wanting other entrepreneur models to think about, you know, and she's a mom and she's, you know, a partner, like all of these things. And how do you sort of balance all of that, you know? So as you're, uh, how many episodes now on the show? Like 315-ish. Okay, yeah, congrats. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and so as you start to have these conversations, the the caliber of the guests, I imagine, is rising as well. Folks, were there folks that you admired in the space, folks that you were looking up to, or what are some of the ones that, that come to mind when you're thinking about, you know, who you were that no one knew who you were when episode one and now 300 plus in and you look back, uh, who are some of the folks that you're happy to have had a conversation with? Yeah. So I can definitely share like one therapy one and one non-therapy one. So like the therapy literally one was Lynn Grotsky, who was like this private practice building coach. And this is like the book that therapists buy when they want to like go into private practice because she has like this book and then like a workbook with it. And, uh, I, I remember like I messaged her completely like, you know, newbie podcaster. Hey, Lynn, <laughs> you know, uh, I started this podcast and it, I mean, even then like a podcaster was even newer. Right. And, uh, yeah. so when I, when she interviewed and came on, that was like a big moment. And then I had Neil Patel. Oh yeah. Yeah. CEO. So like, 
I don't know. Oh yeah. I was on his email list and I think just replied back to him one time and, and just kind of like, Hey, let's do it. I was yeah, like, that's good. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think what you find at the end of the day is a lot of these folks, you know, they're just, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Right. And I think they're all regular folks. They had a similar start, you know, they, they had their ups and downs. And I think, I think we think sometimes as podcasters, like, Oh, like who, you know, they're not going to come on my show. And, and a lot of times they're not even asking about your downloads or anything like that. They just want to see, is it, a, have you done like 20 or 30 episodes and, and do you have a platform? And I think it's funny. I always feel like this show like hits above it's average or whatever the phrase is, but just like, it's just like, I'm always like going after like names and the only connection I need is that they have a podcast and they come on and just have a great conversation. And so I think it shows you the availability of these folks, but also this idea of having this platform. I always talked about a podcast as a stage, right? Like if you had said, Hey, Neil, can I pick your brain or can we, can we like grab a coffee? And like, he's like, who are you? Like, no, <laughs> but if you're like, I've got this podcast, I've done 50 episodes or hundred episodes, 300 episodes. And you know, I, I want to share your story with my audience. Cause I find you incredibly inspiring. The dynamic completely shifts, right? And all of a sudden they have an hour now, <laughs> like they're going to come and spend an hour. And so I treasure the time that guests spend with me on the show. And I always try to pay it forward as well. People ask me like, Oh, I just started a show. I'm like, yeah, I'll come on. Like I have no problem just paying it forward to folks as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a good mindset to have, you know? Yeah. So as you start to think about the course now, and I know we talked about this a little bit on the session we had with Jeremy, like what were your thoughts there? Were you trying to model things that you had seen previously? And so talk about how you started putting that together. Yeah, I mean, so initially, like, yeah, it was definitely like stuff I had learned from others and how do I sort of weave it. But then I think the thing that really, so I, I think the course really started taking off on a couple of things. So first one is when I started actually weaving in my personal experience as a podcaster and some of the challenges and the unique things like, oh, yeah, like, you know, hey guys, like this is back in the day, right? Like Apple sometimes takes like up to like a week yeah. to actually, you know, yeah. like say your podcast is approved. So don't worry. Like if it, you know, if it doesn't come through, like you probably did everything right. It's just, you know, you just got to manually do it or whatever. So that was like one. And then the second one is when I really niched down my course. So I initially thought, you know what, like I, Think I want to create a community for like health, wellness, and fitness podcasters, right? On the surface, that sounds like a good idea. But the problem is like, you know, all my entire audience is like therapists primarily, right? So why would like a physician or a, you know, somebody, right? Like a holistic healer or somebody like buy my podcasting course? Hey guys, just because I have the community here doesn't mean anything, right? And so it's when I narrowed it down to therapists, but even therapists was actually not niched enough for my course. What I actually now have niched it is successful therapists in private practice who are moving from the therapist chair to like a more of an online business. So they want to have a platform to be able to share a book or a course they have or something, you know. And the focus of the course was teaching them mostly, is it digital marketing stuff as well, entrepreneurship or no, more on so, podcasting? Yeah, it's all around podcasting, like how to launch a podcast, but then how to sort of monetize that podcast in the context of being a therapist, right? Because there's like unique stuff that we have to think about as therapists. Like, for example, you know, like a client, like what if a client buys an online course from us, right? There's like dual relationships and a bunch of other complicated, like legal and ethical kind of stuff. So sort of, yeah, but that's like an important, like a subtle but important lesson I learned is like the more nuanced and niched you go into a course idea 
Like you can speak to such nuances and it's terrifying to think about it, but because you become the the most logical choice, right? Like there's some real power in that. So So what were some of the topics that you went into specifically, like in terms of the when, when you were thinking about how to structure it and what platform do you use? Uh, like in terms of like how to structure podcast episodes and yeah, I guess more so in the platform Did you just, there's so many different options now. And I don't know if it was the same when you were launching, but where did you have, like, how did you decide on one? Oh yeah. Initially I felt like, well, I went with Lipson initially. Okay. Yeah. For the course. Oh, oh, for my course. course. For Okay. So sorry. Yeah. For my course, I went with zippy courses, which (laughs) is like a Derek Halpern. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Remember like when social triggers, right? Yeah. yeah, Of course. So he had this platform called Zippy Courses, and this is like 2015 when so many of these options were not available. And uh, now, like in the last about two years, we switched to Kartra. Oh, Kartra. Okay, yeah. Yeah, which has been really good. You know, I don't think any of these platforms are like perfect, right? But I think Kartra, particularly, I think the combo of the email marketing like component with the customer service portal built in, that's like really, it's helpful. And so you shared some numbers in your Twitter thread, and I think you shared it with Jeremy's session as well. So if you want to just bring us up to date, you know, what's the results been of, of the course, you know, just to get people, you know, motivated and inspired, but what's possible when you, especially because of the fact that you niched down, I think that's why you've had so much success. Yeah. So we've had about, I think, 272 of my colleagues who signed up for this course. Uh, the course is currently $1,500. Okay. And 1497. And then we just passed 315, 316,000. Awesome. Very cool. And it's a six week, eight week course? Or no, it's just... actually a completely digital. Okay. Yeah. Completely digital, like traditional digital course. I have thought about doing it as a CBC. Maybe it's something in the future, but I'm trying to channel my Rachel Rogers of, you know, one <laughs> flagship product. And yeah. so, but this is actually something that I think would be helpful to listeners. Like, I, the question I started to ask myself is, okay, now that they've launched, now that they've done the thing that I'm teaching them, what is the next logical step, yeah, yeah, right? Of course. And that's where like this new idea, which we just started like this past year has come in, which is like a lot of therapists, especially in the midst of this pandemic, right? Have they, they're very burnt out, right? They don't want to, I mean, when you're hearing like 15, 20, like, pandemic related trauma stories while dealing with your own things like i think a lot of therapists are moving toward like online income right specifically courses and i was like you know i think i can teach this to therapists but but then i was like i don't want to teach it as a digital course because i started having conversations with our colleagues and they were like i can just buy that but then i i don't i need the accountability and i was like well how do i build that in right and so we just did a year-long mastermind you know, channel my John Lee Dumas a little <laughs> bit there and, uh, and Kate as well. Very cool. And the course is go at your own pace. The, the podcasting course is go at your own pace. The mastermind is we meet Thursdays and, uh, depending on what Thursday, uh, we do something different. So basically we have two hot seat, the current structure of it is we have two hot seats, one, uh, like a teaching workshop where I'm teaching specifically on something related to courses. And then we have one that's, uh, like office hours. So they can kind of come in and uh, go into like certain rooms, depending on what they need support in. And what are you pricing the mastermind at? So initially for the beta group, we did at four ninety seven a month. It required a one year commitment. Uh, we just upped it to seven fifty a month, uh, requiring one year commitment. So congrats on the launch of both those products, and I think it's, it speaks to the importance of 
what you just said, just being intentional about niching down and speaking to that specific audience, because you have the subject matter expertise in this topic. And, and I think when you talk about, you know, certain topics, certain words, certain concepts that you have a, you know, very in-depth familiarity with that resonates with these folks. And I think that's exactly why you've seen the success that you've had. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that, Harry. Like, I mean, it's definitely hasn't been like a clean, you know, it's been a struggle, I think, to niche down. And I think we even get into this, but like money stuff, yeah, like feeling like you're worthy to be pricing at a certain thing, like, oh my gosh, like seven fifty a month. Like, honestly, like I would have been so nauseous like thinking about <laughs> that about even a year ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, I feel like as entrepreneurs, like one of the most important things that we can do is like make sense of the money's trauma and the money stories that have impacted our lives. Because I feel like so many like wonderfully talented entrepreneurs undercharge. And so they live in this like silent misery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's not anything that we're taught. It's not anything you're going to learn in school. It's almost, you know, you have to like see what's possible. It was a big aha for me because I joined a, one of the first things I did that was important for me is I joined a mastermind myself when I left my corporate. And at the time it was like a $1,500 a month <laughs> mastermind. And I was like really in shock about like, you're paying this guy this much for like, what? I was like, what am I going to get in my hand for that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like um, this idea of offering his IP, like his intellectual property and his frameworks and the idea that he gets you there faster and the importance of a coach and just all these things that are just like strange concepts when you're coming out of like the nine to five. And it was really a wake up call. Cause then when I went into the group meeting the caliber of the entrepreneurs in there, like running six figure, seven figure businesses, I was like totally slick swimming in like the deep end of the pool. And I was just like, and then I, that's how I built my agency. Cause I was like, Oh, I see that these people understand this idea of opportunity cost. Like what's an hour of their time worth? Is it better for to work with someone who could help them get to where they need to get faster? And, and it's this idea of like if, at that level, when you need something done, you're thinking about not how do I get this done? Who can get this done for me? You know, so just all these interesting concepts and just ties into some of the stuff you were saying as well. Just, But it's also just like a mindset as well because, you know, they value their time. So like we think we're charging something that's a, a really big price. And for them, it's just like, no, you're going to get me there faster or you have exactly the information I need. You've done all the work. I don't need to go on all these YouTube videos to search because a lot of the information that we share and we provide, and I'm sure some of it could be the same for you. It's It's not something that's like, proprietary or secret it's not something that if they spend enough time on youtube they could probably find out but it's it's just something about you the way you package it and also the, i'm sure over time the community because a lot of times what happens with these groups now is they come for the content but then they end up staying for the community yeah i mean i was talking to one of my mastermind members this morning and they were mentioning like you know so we do like hot seats and they each have like a group of like five-ish people they were like, yeah, you know, this person in my mastermind connected in my, you know, my pod, we call them buddy pods, my buddy pod, you know, connected me with so-and-so and now I have a VA and I'm like, what's oh, so awesome, you know, like it is, it's totally the connections that you get to build and, you know. So how have you thought in terms of how you start to grow these offers? There's also questions about how you get support for what you're doing. And do you want to keep it like a, a one-person shop? Do you start to like add people in? You know, What are some of your thoughts around there as you started to add these additional offers? Yeah. So, I mean, I have a virtual assistant who I've, you know, she's lovely. And we worked together for four, four coming on five years now. And uh, she's shifting to like become my like director of operations. And I have a podcast editor, 
but you know, I think I was that book from uh, uh, Rework. Oh yeah, the base camp. Yeah, there's a chapter in there about I think basically like you know the folks who created Basecamp, how they like branched off into different products and services. They thought that's what they needed to do, and only to realize like focusing on one core thing was like a good idea. And there's a great quote in there. I'll probably like butcher it, but it was basically said like small can be a destination instead of like a pit stop. Mm, like that. And so, and I don't know, for me, like that was kind of liberating because I thought, you know, like I wanted to grow this like infinitely big. And what I realized is like, one, like my enough number is like significantly less than, you know, than what I thought I needed. And then like the peace of mind is so important to me, right? Like being able to sleep well at night and not be stressed about, you know, an email I got to respond to or this or that or, you know. So I'm like now trying to like, and maybe I don't know, I, I could be wrong on this, but like it feels good to me, but I'm trying to optimize around my lifestyle. Like I want like a easy sort of ease and flow to my days, you know, like this is today is like, this is this and a coaching call I had were like the heaviest lifts of the day, okay. you know? Yeah. You know, and I like that because otherwise I had like deep work time. You know? Yeah, that's important. Cal Newport. <laughs> yeah. That's a good book couple of questions as we as we wrap up i'm curious i'd be remiss if i didn't ask about your twitter experience I, I, I see that you did write a thread is that something you've been doing recently is that something just to flex the writing muscle like how did that come about yeah so it's definitely an attempt to flex the writing muscle i don't think like i've come to a regular cadence with twitter so i started getting active uh like 10 months ago like right around january of this year took a couple of like audience building class or like courses and I was like, you know, I think Twitter's an interesting medium. And my whole goal is, right, like, I was like, okay, why do I want Twitter? Because not a ton of therapists are on Twitter. So it's not like my ideal folks are on Twitter. But I was like, okay, I think this could be an interesting way to, like, meet interesting people to have on my podcast, to be part of my mastermind as expert guests, like stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I was aiming for, like, twice a month with with Threads. Uh, and I, I kept that up for a while and recently life's kind of gotten in the way, you know, just with, you know, with having a little kiddo. So it's like the main thing, right? So I, right now, and then I also, I mean, I was able to have someone help me like kind of ghostwrite some of these threads. So what basically I do is get these ideas onto like a loom and be like, Hey, this is point one, point two, point three, And then he'll kind of write it out and then I'll do a final draft of it. So that seems to be working out well. But I think I want to get into regular cadence because as with most things, I mean, you know this, right? The thing with podcasting is that the more episodes you can release and the more regularity, like it just, it keeps compounding. Over sure, time, sure. Yeah, right? definitely. And the same thing with Twitter. Like when I was doing the, you know, once a week threads, like it went from like 1800 followers to like 3000 something, you know? Yeah. And then once I started writing less, it was like I had more unsubscribes than, you know, followers, right? Yeah, it's something that I found recently. I think it's one of the, it's, it's a concept of 1% improvement over time. And that's something that I've been just like honing in on. Like sometimes the count will go up by like single digits over the course of a week. And I'm just like, you know, but I know that I'm putting in the time and just working out because it's one of those things that it looks steady, but all that work that you've put in and then it takes off, but it, you you don't see it. You know, if you try to look at it day over day and you're like, oh, I didn't get any followers or I didn't get any 
you know, you write these great threads and then like you get one like, you're like, oh, I, put, I put like half an hour into that thing. Like, yeah. you know, so it's, but it's interesting for me because I think for me, it's the benefit is for me that I'm working, I'm doing it for myself to work the writing muscle and then just get better. And so I'm doing, I'm starting with a blog post once a week now and that's the basis for my thread. So, and I've had people give me some positive feedback on the newsletter as well. So it, all those little things you look at to help you, you know, keep you moving forward. I think it's helpful. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I think the one other thing I wanted to add is like, I've been thinking about how to integrate this podcast threads into podcast episodes. So what I usually do is like, we'll create a solo episode based on a thread and then just append the episode to the thread, you know? Yeah. Cause that's the other thing I'm thinking about. Like once I've got this cadence down, essentially the basis of all social content, if you think about it is writing. Like if you look at, you know, what's on medium, if you look at stuff that's on on instagram it's people sharing quotes like someone wrote those quotes you know? so if you look at like a, a really well done youtube video it's there's probably a script and someone had to write that script and so essentially even tweets you could essentially tiktok videos they're essentially just short form things that you could just read out and, and read to the camera so i think over time as i start to build up this content it gives me more confidence to get in front of the camera to do these things because i'm just essentially reading stuff that i've wrote that i've seen has gotten some traction and so I think that's as I start to branch out into the other platforms, because I started with podcasting because I like talking. I don't like I thought I didn't like writing and I, I'm definitely not the type of person that just shows up and does a live. <laughs> but I think it's important. And I, I think it's going back because I realized when I was in grade school, I, I did like writing. And and so just flexing the muscle again, I think is important. I think you're on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? Sleep. Sleep. Okay. Yeah. I realized that a lot of stuff is driven by quality sleep. Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, the way I used to think about it is like sleep is something that is sort of needed, right? Just to kind of get you refreshed for the next day. Whereas now I started kind of optimizing around sleep. That makes sense. I used to have this joke when I was hanging out with my friend, my guy friends. I'd be like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And I think especially as men, right? Like, I feel like that's so ingrained, right? When we grow up, right? Yeah, absolutely. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? That's a good question. That I think my, like, my quietness means that I'm kind of aloof. Yeah. That's interesting. So whereas I usually actually just means either don't have anything to say <laughs> or I'm just like, I'm listening, you know, and genuinely interested. Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been a really fascinating uh, conversation. I'm glad, you know, the way things work sometimes, you just never know through a, a certain series of events how you just end up meeting people. And shout out again and, uh, to Jeremy for creating a platform that allowed us to connect. And it's been fun to just see people doing exciting things online, especially from a podcasting space. And so I'm just always grateful to make these new connections. I'm really appreciative of you for coming on taking an hour of your time and then sharing your story with my audience. I think it's really inspirational and I really got a lot out of it. Thank you, Harry, for having me. And yeah, I mean, we're in such an awesome space. So I'm grateful to be in it with you. And shout out to Jeremy. Yeah, shout out to Jeremy. Uh, we'll be sure to tag him when we promote this <laughs> episode <laughs> as well. Uh, where's the best place for folks to learn more about the podcast, the course, or anywhere else you want to point folks to? Yeah, so the main blog is sellingthecouch.com and my podcast is at sellingthecouch.com forward slash listen probably the best way okay we'll make sure all that stuff is in the show notes thanks again melvin i really appreciate it thanks again to melvin for coming on and sharing his show it's a really inspiring story i'm glad to see all the different ways people are entering the world of podcasting 
and making a career out of it, which is really, really inspiring, especially to new folks entering the space. I hope you were just as inspired as I was. And thanks again to Jeremy for making that connection. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Learn more at cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the new Vocaster. Personally, I'm using Vocaster 2. You can learn all about the product line at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more about how a podcast may be helpful for your business or brand at fullcast.co. Tune in next week for my conversation with Ron J. Gulati. He's a professor at Harvard Business School and author of the best-selling book, Deep Purpose. If you've made it this far, you know not looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with hashtag selling the couch. And you can tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Melvin at mvargazi5. So that's his last name, Varghese. That's M-V-A-R-G-H-E-S-E-5. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.